My name is Jonathan Huffnagel. I'm the founder of Dash. We created the Dash podcast to hear from the game day digital auctioneers from around the world of sports. We'll share their ideas, best practices, and success stories so that you can learn from the best and apply their practices to your sports team. For those of you who may not know, Dash is the only digital auction platform built specifically for professional sports teams and their fans. I started Dash after working for FC Dallas at Major League Soccer and noting the struggles of our team's charitable foundation director. We hope you take a lot from this podcast. Everyone, welcome back to another Dash podcast. I have another awesome guest with us today and an OG for Dash auction platform, uh, Walt Ruff. Walt is the manager of media relations for the Tucson Roadrunners. Walt, welcome to the show, sir. Jonathan, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. So a little backstory on Walt. Walt's done some pretty cool things with Dash. Uh, we have a long history. Uh, Walt started his relationship with Dash at the NAHA, NAHL level uh, with the Lone Star Brahmas. Uh, then he brought Dash to the Norfolk Admirals of the ECHL. And uh, like we said, Walt is now with uh, the AHL Tucson Roadrunners. Uh, which we're pretty excited to see uh, Walt moving up the chain and, and getting him into the NHL level here very soon. Uh, Walt, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, share your sports career, and um, maybe share a little bit about your day-to-day so those folks who are listening right now can get a sense of who you are and uh, they can kind of apply that to their own day-to-day situation wherever uh, they may be in the sports world right now. Sure. Sure, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, Jonathan, I'm the manager of media relations for the Tucson Roadrunners of the American Hockey League. Uh, we are the top affiliate of the National Hockey League's Arizona Coyotes. Uh, this was my first full year with the organization. I got here in August of 2017. Uh, before that, as you mentioned, I was the media manager for the Norfolk Admirals of ECHL. Spent one year with them. It was a lot of fun. And uh, prior to that, where you and I started our relationship with the Lone Star Brahmas of the North American Hockey League, uh, Tier 2 Junior. So I'm um, just kind of trying to work my way up within the hockey world. I like to tell everybody it's, uh, it's just like being a player. You know, you got to start small and work your way up. And I'm very thankful for all the experiences I've had so far and uh, thankful that I've been able to work with you along the way. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, as you mentioned, obviously, we're only uh, – only one step away from the big dream, but uh, we'll get there in due time. And um, some things about my day-to-day role. And the most important thing I do here in Tucson is uh, just making sure we're relevant in the media attention. Um, working with a lot of the news stations, radio stations, our newspapers, um, anything that's somewhat newsworthy for us. Just making sure they have that information. Um, it's a lot of uh, spoon feeding and hand holding, but um, it's an imperative part of the job because you want people to. Um, you you want them to know what what's going on with your organization. You want to make sure um, that you're doing things the professional way and giving them the appropriate information. Um, and anything that really you can do to to make those people informed, because at the end of the day, their job is to inform the community what's going on. So it's a very important medium for us. And uh, anything I can do here to um, make sure that those people are informed and have the necessary information that they need to go and redistribute to uh, their folks and their audience. And uh, that's the most important part, of my, important part of my job here in Tucson. Sure, sure. So how much of your day is spent working with tra- traditional media outlets? And how much of your day is spent 
working within your own digital media outlets within the team. Can you share a little bit about that as well? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, as we head into the off-season here, I think obviously the most imperative part is in-season for us. Um, and I would say maybe it's about a 75-25 split mm-hmm. um, in, ter- in terms of speaking with media outlets as opposed to um, internal communication. And I think the, you know, the 25% is not by any means less or important. Um, it's about making sure that our staff here is all on the same page in terms of when it comes to putting together news releases or uh, distributing information, whether it be from a different part of our organization, someone has something that they feel newsworthy, um, or just something that uh, could be a standard as a player transaction that uh, you know you're almost solely in charge of typing up from start to finish and getting that word out. Sometimes it starts shattering, sometimes it's not so much, but um, you know, I'm very thankful for the you know, organization staff that we have here. I think we've got a really Really good crew here in Tucson. Um, it's a you know it's a small staff. We've got I think about 16 to 18 here, and I think there's three or four of us within the communications department. But everyone serves a really pivotal role, and I think that everyone within our department is outstanding at their job. So it makes my job that much easier. But um, and then on the 75% job of connecting with the media outlets. Um, it's really, again, going back to what I just mentioned about putting things in a positive limelight and giving everyone necessary information. Um, you know, I've got obviously my email list of where our press releases go. And then as you get to know these people on a more personable level, of course, you can sometimes just text them information or just call them. And, um, or sometimes you just want to, you know, make that personable connection. I know it's something I'll have to do a lot over the summer because we'll have a little less news on a regular basis. So just kind of checking in with the people, making sure they're not forgetting about us over the summer. But um, in season, it's a a lot more constant flow of information. So um, just making sure everybody's in the loop is uh, really important. And as I mentioned, that's definitely important, but it doesn't go understated that our in-house side is all connected and on the same page because on a lot of these informational pieces, you know, you want to put a point of contact or a lead of information for these people, whether it be going to our website or uh, placing a call to our office line. It's about making sure that when someone potentially on our sales staff answers the phone, uh, that they know what's going on as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just for an example, when we put out all of our press releases, we make sure that our entire staff gets it at least half an hour in advance before it goes out to the media. So that way, you know, should it be some earth-shattering news or something very newsworthy or topical that when the phone rings at 10.01 or 10.05 and it's not me answering the phone or not someone within the communications department answering the phone, that they're all informed as well. Right, right. And so a little known fact that a lot of people who are listening right now may not know is that you actually hold a dash record for the most number, <laughs> the most number of bids that were placed on an auction you have a pretty phenomenal number here, 628 bids. You did this during your time with the Norfolk Admirals. Share a little bit about that. How did you do that? There's there's a lot of teams out there who are just now dipping their toes into digital auctions, and they may see you know, two or three items on a bid. But in that particular auction, I remember there was one lady who had bid 48 times and still had not won the jersey she was trying to get. How did you do that? What's the secret? You know what? I'm not going to lie to you that uh, it wasn't intentional. I think if you would have told me leading into that auction night that we were going to break some records and hit above 600, um, I probably would have called you crazy. But uh, that night was a lot of fun. I don't think I'll ever forget that either. 
Um, and it's funny, we, we wound up hitting that number because of our previous auction. I remember it's actually, this is one of those situations where uh, you take some bad and you turn it into some good. And mm-hmm. um, in our previous auction, we had, I believe it was a gentleman who was upset because, um, you know, say, for example, the auction was ending at 10 p.m. at night. Well, of course, you know, like any auction format, he believed he went to place a bid at, let's just say, 9.59 and 58 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went to put it in last second, and it didn't process, and he wound up not getting the jersey he wanted. And rightfully so, he was upset. And um, I remember he reached out to, I believe it was either, uh, he probably reached out to me, and then I put him in contact with you, and we had to figure out, you know, okay, why didn't this go through? Um, and it just happened in that auction we did, um, I believe it was our, almost our entire jersey auction exclusively through the app. So we had 30 items up there. And, of course, when you have someone upset not winning the item that they believe they rightfully should have won, um, you know, it's all about, Jonathan, you're really spectacular at this and troubleshooting and trying to find, okay, why did this happen and what can we do to alleviate that for the next time? So we came up with an idea of doing our auction instead of having 30 items ending at 10 o'clock right on the dot. Um, you know, you and I had kind of gone over some possible scenarios as to why that happened crunching some numbers so we decided that for the next auction we would do the sets in phases which is what Uh we wind up calling them yep um so instead of having all 30 items available ending up one time uh we did i believe six different sets of five so that way we didn't have 30 different people all trying to place a bid at the same second um which potentially could cause some a bit of a hiccup within the app but of course you know those two seconds are so monumental um in terms of correcting you know making sure everyone's got the most accurate bid and the highest bidder wins so as mentioned we did it in different phases and it just so happened to take off because um you know fans weren't seeing the you know maybe several second processing time that they were seeing um during the 30 jersey auction because we had six different end times, they were able to um, bid on an item and get that to go through right away because it wasn't 30 at a time, it was six at a time. Uh-huh. So there wasn't that processing holdup, and it really was just something that um, we kind of thought you and I would try as an experimental basis, and uh, sure enough, by the end of the night, we had people seeing, and I'm, I'm sure this was partially the case, that fans were going to bid on the first item and they saw that they weren't experiencing that same processing time that they were seeing on the first time around so they thought okay this will allow us more opportunities to get right in with that next bid and sure enough they took it they ran with it and um i remember i got an email from you either later that night or the next morning and um we had seen that we hit over 600 and we were like is that right and uh (laughs) sure enough it certainly was and uh wound up being uh it was a really fun day because you almost couldn't believe seeing those numbers go up and up as you were checking each one and um it wound up being a lot of fun and uh, a very memorable night for the both of us i think sure sure i think you had really pioneered the phased jersey auction where you know, you don't have 30 jerseys that end all at once. You've staggered the end times a little bit, maybe 10 minutes apart. And what that kind of does with the fan base, too, is if they miss out on a player's jersey in, in the first phase, well, they still have a second and a third chance to be able to bid on a jersey, uh, take it off the player's back, even meet the jersey, get it signed and have that unique, fun experience. And it almost builds that fear of missing out moment where I missed out on phase one, but I've still got phase two. And oh, shoot, I may have missed out on phase two, but I've got one more shot 
in phase three or phase four to score that jersey. And um, it was interesting watching, you know, as the phase is closed, more and more bids pile on for those particular items. And what's been great to see is you see this now with the AHL San Diego goals. You see this with the Johnstown Tomahawks. And it's almost kind of become a staple in the way that teams will execute their digital auctions on Dash. And it totally makes sense. And it's a lot of fun. And I think one thing that uh, it does for a lot of teams, too, is, you know, if it is a jersey off their back nights that night, you don't have 30 fans plus their two kids and their wife or their spouse all showing up at the uh, table to pick up their jersey at one time, too. So it's almost like a crowd control also, and it's worked out for a lot of people. And, um, you know, like I said, you're you're a pioneer in all of this. Um, what's interesting about you, too, is as we've been recording these podcasts is there's a lot of older folks. I wouldn't say older, but more tenured folks who have been in the sports world for a little while. And um, change can be difficult for them, um, as it can be for most of us in life and anything that we do. Um but one of the biggest game changers, I think, in sports is the mobile device. And you've got a lot of uh, a lot of teams who are thinking, you know what, we don't want our fans on mobile devices during games. We want them tuned into the game. We want them tuned into our Jumbotron and the activations that are going on with our partners. Uh, but there's also some sentiment out there that, you know, some of the t- these teams say, well, look, we've got 10,000 fans walking into our building every night and they all have a television screen in their hand. Can you share with us how the Roadrunners are engaging fans on their mobile device during games? Are there um, opportunities that you see coming coming along in the next two, three years uh, that you guys are tuned into trends that you guys want to double down on for next season. What's what's kind of been the biggest change for mobile and, and digital activations going on on game nights? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there for a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, change is difficult for a lot of people, and um, especially with the more veteran and more elder crowd. Um, it's something that here in Tucson we've kind of learned over the first two years that um, a large amount of our fan base can potentially be snowbirds um, and, and a little bit of an older generation. So how do we utilize them? And that's something that we're still learning. But um, going back to the original point of when you have, um, for us here, max capacity 6,500, when you have that amount of people walking through the door, um, how do you get them to participate and be actively engaged all night? And I think with that, it's become a, if you can't beat them, join them mentality. Uh-huh. Um, in baseball, there's the break between innings, and we've seen the sport having to adapt to that as a whole within the past few years with adding a pitch clock and the time clock between innings. In football, you've got the play clock in between plays. You've got quarter breaks. You've got TV timeouts. You've got halftime. Um, and just like that in hockey, you've got face-offs, you've got the TV timeouts, you've got intermission, and what was once viewed as the quote-unquote dead time of the game is just now advancing into an opportunity for organizations to cash in on and to further engage the fan experience. Uh-huh. Um, for us here in Tucson, we have different things, such as, of course, I'm sure you've seen other stadiums, you know, you post your selfie and use a hashtag to be featured on a video board and boom, right there goes two stoppages of which would have been dead time the first time around you're promoting fans to do it, maybe even promote it a second time and then uh, a stoppage during the third period, they're able to see their photo up on the board. Sure, um, sure. Correlating this to auctions on nights where we do have auctions, it's such a different ball game because you can never encourage your fans enough to go check out a project or a product, excuse me, and see where the bidding is at. 
Um, you can read that during a TV timeout. You can read that even during a stoppage via a PA read. Um, in different organizations, I've seen them promote utilizing a team app to vote on the three stars of the evening, which is always cool, and it's another avenue to make your fans feel involved. Uh-huh. Uh, there's so many different things that the options are endless, and they're only going to be grow growing more to be more inclusive over the next few years, and it's really hard to predict the method of um, you know what's going to be next, but right now there's so many options that... Um, you know, it's always important to be learning from different teams. And, you know, you had talked about what San Diego does well and what Johnstown does well. Um, it's so important to be learning, especially for an organization that's still in our infant stages as we are, um, to make sure that we're correcting and clarifying and doing things the right way. So that way, you know, we have our TV timeouts filled the right way instead of, you know, it being just music getting us through to the next stoppage. It's about, okay, do we have an avenue here which we can promote either a full screen or a video or a PA read promoting a product which potentially turns into more revenue for us. Mm-hmm. So I know a big important part of next year for us is going to be um, just, as I mentioned, correcting and clarifying that we're utilizing all of these avenues in the right way. And with that comes back to the original question of if you have something going on of which you can tie fans to the mobile device of which you know they're going to be using during those dead times, can you put something right there in front of them or um, lead them to an area of which they can see a product or see something that will make them more likely to return on their phone during this quote-unquote dead time uh, that can enhance their experience or potentially make them a returning customer? Right, right. Do you... Do you guys have a staff during game day? You do, of course. This is kind of a dumb segue. But during game days, um, your digital staff, what are they doing? Are they reaching out to folks who may be taking that selfie or hashtagging Tucson Roadrunners during the games? Are they are y'all actively reaching out to them more or are is the organization more directing fans to do certain things on the Jumbotron to activate on their device? What are you guys doing there? Share a little bit of light on that. I think right now, um, as I mentioned, that kind of ties hand-in-hand with still being young. Um, I think right now we are encouraging them to take a course of action. Um, And I think something that we're actively taking a look at moving forward is now how do we utilize that as another avenue. Mm -hmm. Um, Our social media staff is largely led by a gentleman named Alex Kinkoff. I think he does an incredible job here. Um, He came to us from the Los Angeles Kings, Mm -hmm. and I've got the privilege of sitting right next to him in the press box, and I think he does an outstanding job of, it's just the little things of, you know, when they post that selfie with the hashtag um, to go up on the video board, it's also liking and responding to them and um, letting them know that we see that, we see that activation. So um, from his role, I think he does an incredible job of, of making the fans feel included. Um, and then we've also got um, a young lady by the name of Amy Keller that leads our graphic department and has a large part of what our in-game promotion and content video crew looks like. Um, she's also very open-minded, and she came to us from the Chicago Sky of the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done an incredible job of, uh, again, as you mentioned, just making sure everyone's involved. Um, and for now, it's all about putting our heads together and what we can do for next season to make that even better. Um, you know, next year, it's not just uh, post a video and see yourself on the video board. It's, you know, what else can we do with that? Um, and are there other avenues or contests that can lead to 
um, you know, making that night more special and making it an entertaining night out because, of course, a lot of sports businesses will tell you they can't control what goes on on the ice or on the field, um, but they can guarantee a fun night out. So for us next year, it's all about taking that to the next level. We saw a good amount of success this year moving in the right direction, but moving forward into the next few years, it's all about growing on what we have right now and how we can be even better at that. Right. I remember my time at FC Dallas was – I started my career in 2010, spent three years with them and, um, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram were just getting going, but you really didn't see a whole lot of social media activations coming from professional sports teams, mainly because a lot of people still didn't know what the heck to do with it and how to leverage um, that opportunity with fans. Well, when I was in ticket sales, I would search all the hashtags Sunday after our Saturday game and thank everyone for coming out. I would like their post, make a comment. If I saw some people who were um, taking selfies at the game, I could easily identify where they were sitting, swing by, say hello, introduce myself, ask if there was anything that I could do for them, um, get them any information and things like that. And what was cool is there's a couple people um, who I engaged with who then would bring out a group. Uh, who would then purchase season tickets. There are still some people that I still engage with on social media from my time at FC Dallas. Do you guys have a ticket sales rep who activates with these fans who are hashtagging, taking selfies in the arena that night to drum up some sales that way? Definitely. And it's funny that you bring that up because uh, actually just earlier this week we had our 2017-18 kind of end of season recap and our 2000. 1819 organizational um, moving forward meeting. It was a nice little event we had earlier this week, and that was a large part of what we talked about um, from the ticket sales side, and that's um, being more proactive with in-seat visits because of opportunities like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never know how these people, whether it be through an advanced purchase online or whether it be through that social media asset, um, just going down, saying hello, making sure they have the information, and um, again, creating that wholesome experience is really um, what a lot of teams are going to aim for, and uh, that's just another avenue as to how you can make that happen, because of course, in the pre-social media days, the only way you had that information is through almost the ticket master or uh, whoever the ticket printing mm-hmm. provider might be, um, but now you have this other avenue of when you see these fans posting pictures and such that um, it certainly provides another avenue, and uh, I think that's going to be a crucial part of our staff moving forward, and that's part of growing and uh, just making making sure that our fans are having that complete night out and making sure that we want to pride ourselves on that family perspective, and we've grown to learn that. It's funny, despite being in Tucson, Arizona, we've got the University of Arizona right here in town. A lot of people kind of brand this as a college town. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to settle and solidify in understanding our crowd as a more family night out. Right. Um, we see a lot of uh, upticks on Saturday nights, and for uh, group tickets and our excuse me, I shouldn't say the group ticket range, but maybe four to six of parents and their children, and maybe even the grandparents coming out. So it's a lot of you know, kind of okay, how do we adapt and how do we brand ourselves and make sure that families are enjoying a good time out. Um, of course, we're always you know, like many sports teams, going to have that two dollar beer night, and you're kind of appealing to a different demographic on that night. But moving forward, it's about how we can appease these families and make them sure that um, they're doing the right thing by coming to join us. And we appreciate them making that decision. And we want to show them a good time out from start to finish. And uh, we want to make them welcome and we want to make them come back. 
Right, right. And what's, you know, when I started my sports career, I had no idea the strong emphasis that we had on on data capture, getting people's names, phone numbers, emails, and continuing to grow our own database of fans and their contact information. Now, we live in a town of six million people here in Dallas, but every opportunity that we could do to, to get that information was huge. And, you know, with the prevalence of the secondary market growing as quickly as it has in the past several years, you know, one of the big challenges and problems that we've noted with the teams that we work with is they have no idea who's walking through their doors these days. You know, there's seasoned ticket holders out there and ticket scalpers who will buy a, a whole bunch of tickets put them on StubHub, but now we have no idea who's walking through our door because someone just bought a $12 ticket from a third-party vendor out there. And so using digital to have your sales team swing by those people's seats, make sure they put a face to the name, introduce themselves, and now they have a contact within the organization can now lead to further revenues down the line, which I think is, is, is huge and it's super important. And it's a way that teams are using digital is a way to drive revenues and build brand and create new fans that come in through the organization. So it's great to hear that you guys are doing that. Um, well, share a little bit more about digital auctions here before we let you go. You're the, you're one of the gurus for sure. Like I said, you're, you're one of the Dash original gangsters from when we first got going in our very first summer of introducing a product uh, to the sports world. There's a lot of teams out there right now who still are using pen paper auctions or hosting the live jersey after the game. For those teams who are recognizing finally that the mobile device is a pretty significant part of the game day experience and a part of our daily lives, what are some of those check boxes that they need to check off to ensure that when they do go digital, they are off to the best foot that they can and they can ensure success the first season that they're doing this. What would you say? Well, I think before I start the, the steps to success, I think you, you brought up a really good point there in the whole data capture. I mean, we could spend hours talking about yep. how pivotal that is and uh, how many people that, that tool could be utilized for because I know that that's something that you really opened my eyes to in Norfolk and um, just collecting the information of these folks from people, as you mentioned, they might not win the product, but you certainly now have an avenue to reach out the following week, the following day, saying, hey, thank you so much for placing the bid. We recognize that you didn't win, but uh, we just want to let you know we we see your efforts and we appreciate you trying. Oh, by the way, you know, come join us at our game next week, or oh, by the way, our next auction is going to be this week. Um, you now have the avenue to directly contact these people and not just hoping and praying that um, they didn't win the product, so now they're all upset. Now they're never going to bid anything again. You yeah. have the direct capability to reach out to these people and let them know that you're recognizing their efforts and that they shouldn't feel any, um, you know, any reason to be upset that they didn't win their product. Right. Um, so I think that's something that's you know extremely undervalued and something that maybe in a lot of ways, um, even someone like myself who's been using products for three years that. Um, there's just all this information that you can't even put a price tag on because for me, I know now that if you get this information, you can pass it forward to the ticket sales staff. And, hey, I heard from a fellow coworker you placed a bid on this product. We're sorry to hear you didn't win, but we 
wanted to hear about your experience on the night as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many different avenues that it could lead to just having this information, having an email, having a phone number. And again, you're never going to get that information from someone who bought their tickets on StubHub. But if you can appeal to them a product of which you might be able to collect their attention and get some personal information from them on, um, the options are endless, which is, it's crazy that we're just scratching the surface on this. And I think within the next, you know, you would ask me in a couple questions, where do you see this in five years? Where do you see this in two years? Where do you see this in three years? I think that's something that's really going to come to the forefront because of how much information and how pivotal that that could be um, for so many different areas of the front office. You can learn so much about your demographic um, from these items, all because you're, you know, you're essentially, you're not costing yourself a dime by putting these items up. Um, you're just trying to get something that appeals to the interest of somebody. And, sure. uh, you know, many times it's going to appeal to more than nine times out of ten people. So um, just getting their information that they have the slightest bit of interest involved and then that further helps you for what people want to see on the next auction. Um, right. Again, it's, we could go on and on and on for how many different streams that this could create. Um but transferring into the what you asked, the steps to success, um, one of my favorite moments was, and it was, um, you know, it was like a wow or a shock factor moment last year in Norfolk. Um, we had that one jersey auction, and we had, you know, uh, one of my favorite coworkers there, Brooke Craner. She was very much so in the know of, yep. um, you know, how the digital stuff works. Um, but for some of our more veteran members of the staff, when we had the auction after the game. You know, everyone kind of hangs around and see who wins who's. And, um, you know, we're going down the list and say we get to number 11, Paul Rodriguez. And, you know, we say, oh, his winner's not here. And everyone, you know, you get two or three down the list. Oh, their winner's not here. Their winner's not here. And some of the more veteran members of the front office organization are like, why would somebody bid on the jersey if they're not going to show up? And, you know, then we explained to them after the game that, hey, Paul Rodriguez's jersey is going to Pensacola, Florida. And everyone's heads start turning like, how is this possible or why would somebody in Pensacola, Florida bid on this jersey? Um, and you really start to learn that someone in Pensacola, Florida, and we eventually went on by the end of the season, we had a guy named Ben Murphy whose jersey kept going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, we had someone in California. And you learn that um, because I remember I personally contacted the woman in Florida and said, you know, thank you so much for winning Paul's jersey, uh, just confirming this is the right address you'd have it shipped ship to. Um, you know, oh, by the way, how do you know Paul or, you know, what made you want to buy this jersey? Um, and you learn about all these stories that um, because before Paul came to us at the Admirals, he played for the Pensacola Ice Flyers of the SPHL. And this woman was a massive fan, and she tracked his career, and she was still bidding on his jerseys even when he was thousands of miles away. Right. So it's just the coolest thing to open the eyes um, you know, of course, you, you spend a couple bucks on shipping, but is it worth it? Because now you have someone tuned in who could potentially make an exponential difference in the bidding on someone's jersey or someone's signed stick or someone's signed puck. Of course it is. Um, so, you know, you've got these personal relationships from fans to players. But then at the same time, if you're promoting the product in the correct way on social, um, you know, you'll see all these people, uh, you know, just commenting on the design of the jersey and somebody in, um, you know, Indiana likes the design of your jersey, so they might place a bid on it, and that's something that we saw in Norfolk as well. Um, you send these jerseys out all different places, and it might be because of player relationship. It might be just because someone thinks the jersey's cool and or they're a jersey collector and they might want to buy one. 
Um, so there's just so many different avenues that that could open up for individuals. And uh, then once they're in the loop, you keep them in tune with what's going on in the organization and they see what's up to next uh, in terms of the auction world. So, again, that's a massive uh, step to success. You almost never know where you're going to get your business from in an avenue like this. Um, especially in the minor league sports realm. You have all these guys who have been well-traveled and who have been around the block for a little bit. Um, you never know. You know, A lot of these guys coming in with 7 to 10 years of pro experience, they've played in Toronto, they've played in Manchester, they've played in all these different parts of the country and parts of the world, and you never know where they were a fan favorite and who wants to bid on their next item. So um, it's really cool and really for teams who haven't capitalized on this yet, um, you know, don't think of it, don't be um, narrow to the fact that someone, you know, say here in Tucson is going to win the product. You just never know where this money is going to come from. So, um, you know, do yourself a favor. Get that product up and, uh, you know, start promoting it on social. And, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen with it. And, you know, just for another example, um, I know Dash does a great job with the Flint Firebirds. This year we actually had a Coyotes contracted player uh, Jalen Tameric in mm-hmm. Flint with the Firebirds. So, you know, somebody in Flint, Michigan might have been surprised to see that they got a bid from Glendale, Arizona or something along those lines. So um, it's really cool to to see that kind of chain of events take place. Yeah, it is cool. You know, I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking through fandom of sports fans and fandom of sports fans last an entire lifetime it's not something that you just step away with i'm thinking of you know an alternate example where you know we live in dallas texas there's a great restaurant in town i go because they have good food and i like the owner because he comes by every time we're there says hello he knows a little bit about me but if i were to ever move away my fandom of that restaurant I have no opportunity to engage with that restaurant and that owner. But for sports fans, you know, I will always be a Dallas Stars fan. I will always be a Mike Madonna fan, even when he went to the Detroit Red Wings at the end of his career. And I still followed him. But for sports fans, it's just a part of your life that will always be there, whether your favorite player goes to this organization or this organization, or maybe your organization moves away like the Las Vegas Golden Knights, for instance, too. And it's it's interesting that with digital has been the connector of fans, not just in the building that night or who may live in that city, but it's like you said, there are fans all around the world that tune in to their favorite players for all different specific reasons in not just digital auctions, but Instagram, Twitter, Facebook has given us a mechanism to continue that fandom throughout our entire lifetime, right? You think about, you know, Dallas, you, you think about hockey fans in the 60s. Well, they couldn't always engage with Chicago Blackhawks if they moved away. But today, now they can. And now organizations need to be thinking along the lines of, cool, we have fans that come into the city who are a part of our season ticket holder base for 10 years. Now they get transferred to another part of the country in Florida, for instance. How can we continue to extract revenue from that fan who can't attend our games anymore? Well, there's all these different digital mechanisms out there to be able to do that. And I think you bring up an awesome point. And um, yeah, it's been great to have you on the show today, Walt. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. It's been a blast. It's uh, you know, it's almost funny to kind of look back and after only three years, how much we've done, and yeah. um, you know, who's to say with the future of technology, how much more we can do? So, um, I know I can't wait to keep working with you. And uh, kudos to you and everybody over at Dash. I think you all do a tremendous job. And I think uh, a lot more teams within the next few years will be able to see the benefit of it. And I can't wait to keep following and uh, loving the success and growth of your product and your organization as well. And likewise, and for those who may have tuned in late, we've just spoken with Walt Ruff. Walt is the manager of media relations for the American Hockey League's Tucson Roadrunners. Walt, thanks again. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Jonathan. You as well. Thank you, sir. Dash fans, again, and as always, thank you for listening to another Dash podcast. We hope you've taken some good notes and look forward to seeing them in your auction playbook this season. If you're thinking about taking your team's auctions digital and want to talk about it, you can get a hold of us at email team at dashapp.io. Until next time, Dash fans, don't forget, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Now go out there and make it a great day. (coughs) 